Inside OU listeners, thanks again for being loyal subscribers and listeners to the podcast with Brady Trantham and I. Like to get to know Oklahoma's offense and defense better? We have started a Patreon page for our post-game show and my popular film reviews from Twitter. It's $4 for the post-game show and $5 for the film review on Sundays and the post-game show. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash inside underscore OU. It will allow us to do even more cool things now and beyond for you. Thanks again for being loyal subscribers and listeners to Inside OU. See you all next time. Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. Yo, 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 what's up? It is the Thursday edition of the Inside OU Podcast with Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault of SoonersWire.com. I am not very good. I am not very good at saying what podcast you're listening to at the beginning because I kind of like just going right into it, Keegan. So uh, even though we have an intro that tells you who's on it and what you're listening to, I suck at that, Keegan. Just like, oh, you sucked on Saturday. It's October 1st. Birthday, it's, it's the birthday best, month. It's the best month of the year next to July. Mainly because I'm a big summer guy. Because you like postseason baseball in October? No, the MLB is by far the worst run uh, professional sports league out there. Worse than anything. Hockey, NFL, basketball. Rob Manfred's an idiot. And anybody that follows me knows that I've been on the Rob Manfred's trying to ruin the game of baseball for the last three or four years now. Yeah. And it hasn't been more prevalent than it is today. That's yeah, for sure. NFL's hitting their first hurdle with uh, the Titans and the Vikings all getting popped for uh, COVID positives for the first time this season. The NFL's done a great job of basically performing in a, a bubble that isn't a bubble with their teams. But we'll see how the NFL is able to pivot around this. I mean, I'm fairly certain they're going to be able to get their 16 games in. They're already talking about when they can move the Titans and the Steelers game to possibly next week instead of this week, or maybe even having a triple header Monday night football thing, which would be awesome for the viewer. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. Just look forward to three games. But uh, did you see the real quick? You see the high school game in Oklahoma with uh, Santa Fe Memorial? I, I heard the tail end of it on the franchise. What happened? So it's not even just what happened in the game, but they are playing. They played a game on Monday night. And then they're now playing a game on Friday night. Hey, kids, get ready. You got young bodies. Good. Recover Lord. quickly. Yeah, talking about player safety, right? Good Lord. I'll piss on all that. It's just <laughs> it's all about football. So, yeah, that, that was your baseball talk on the Inside OU Football podcast. So let's get to football. Now, on the previous podcast, part two, um, that dropped Tuesday evening. And, again, if you are just now subscribing to the podcast please go and listen to part one of the tuesday megapod with eddie radosevich uh that's free and then keegan and i's conversation uh, part two also dropped that day so you got two podcasts on tuesday that are free today is, is of course free and then the post game show if you want to get our thoughts after the iowa state game uh there is a patreon page link in the show notes we've talked about it enough we will continue to pump it on twitter but we won't want to waste your time anymore on this podcast so let's get right into it now, Keegan, on the previous podcast, you talked about how the offensive line, if you could pick one unit across the board, one unit to make vast improvements, which one would spell great success for OU football? And you said... I the, should have rephrased it. The interior, the interior offensive of the, line. Well, I mean, when you're talking about the offensive line, I mean, the tackles performed well, but, I mean, people are going to remember Adrian Neely getting beat on a just a pure speed rush. That resulted in a sack. And it's like that was an important play. It was. It was an important play. And when you have such inconsistent 
interior line play, you have to be 100% perfect on the tackles. And OU, while there's a lot to be excited for with Anton Harrison and even with Adrian Ely, Ely fumbled on one play. For sure. So. they He, though, after going back, and I know I broke it down and all this, and I was talking about it on Twitter during the game, he looked like the guy we thought he would look like last year. There was, a I know, one play specific. He was playing right tackle. They had already made the switch. White Hubert gets a great jump off the ball, and he just stones him and pancakes him. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow. He's starting to look like the player that he was uh, that we all thought when he committed with sure. the uh, Reservoir Dogs recruitment video. Well, not everybody. Don't yeah. throw me in that conversation. <laughs> no. That uh, is on uh, – if there's freezing cold takes, if, if there, there is a tweet out there about me and Adrian Ely from whenever he signed that's – doesn't bode well too. Weren't well a fan. I thought he played too heavy. Thought his feet were like cement, and they're not. He's really athletic. He's, He's really athletic now. He he looks like, the part. It's like he belongs. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I was not a huge Ely guy coming out of high school. Uh, unlike I was with Cody Ford and and a, you know a handful of others that I've hit on, but Ely was definitely not one of them. Yeah. Well, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you because I think you're correct. Like if the interior of the offensive line just simply cleans up not getting drive killing penalties, OU probably beats Kansas State, you know, barely and we're still upset. But moving forward, if that's all they simply do, I think you're going to get enough production out of them to have explosive plays out of the offense. You're going to have explosive plays from Spencer Rattler and mainly just make him confident that he can stand tall in the pocket, read the defense. Uh, read his receivers, and then deliver the football. I think that's 100% true. I would probably, with mine, because we didn't get to it on uh, Tuesday, I would say it comes down to the secondary. Because we've, we talked at length about what this defense is. One person in particular or the entire secondary? Well, like everyone kind of understands my thing with Trey Brown. Trey Brown, if OU's defense is going to create turnovers, it's not going to be because of Trey Brown. He should be able to make some plays when the ball is thrown directly to him because there's a reason why... We didn't really see that much from Jaden Davis on Saturday. It's because Skylar Thompson wasn't throwing his f***ing direction. Sure. Because Jaden Davis is pretty damn good at his job. Why was Skylar Thompson throwing to Trey Brown's direction? Because that's, an, that's, a mis, that's a matchup that you can exploit. He's a guy that's not going to capitalize off of poor throws. He's a guy that's not going to be overtly physical at the line when they're in press. And Kansas State exploited it. We know this about Trey Brown. But if the secondary improves and what I mean by that is if they simply just catch balls that are thrown to them if they can jump routes create turnovers I think that that just masks a lot of the inherent weaknesses on this defense and I think if you can do that and you can give OU's offense the ball back with moment with the momentum that you gain off of a turnover I think you see more points and then I, th- I think you see more of a cushion in the lead grow that we were waiting for like OU was up three scores that should be enough against Kansas State but that entire game, it really felt like all they need is that last touchdown to go up 28 points, and this game's over. And how you get that is if the defense just creates turnovers. And I think you're not going to see the the defensive line create any turnovers without Ronnie Perkins until he gets back. And especially if Jalen Redmond truly has opted out for the entire season, you're not going to see it from the front four, front three. The linebackers, I like Brian Asamoah. And after rewatching the game, 
I'm fairly confident he's going to be a solid, solid linebacker. Him and Deshaun. And, and Deshaun White, like, he, we were, like, really critical of him. If we could be critical of anybody outside of Trey Brown against Missouri State, we were looking for him to be, like, he was one of your three players. Mm-hmm. I think you can be a little bit happy with that within the linebacking core. But at the same time, I don't see enough athleticism that they can just overcome maybe some poor defensive drives to be like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to catch this ball or I'm going to force a fumble. It's going to come down to Buki and Trey. If those guys can just be athletes and create a play or two a game, I think OU's offense is able to pull away against teams that they're supposed to blow out. Are they supposed to blow out Iowa State? The point spread would suggest otherwise. The talent and what you've seen on film, Keegan, would suggest that, no, OU's better than them and they should destroy them. How can they do that is if the secondary makes a play. Just one play. Just make one play. And it's just like last week, Brady. There's going to be opportunities. I mean, Brock Purdy had his awful decision and was gifted TCU a touchdown. That was... After a rewatch, I did, still did, don't know what he was trying did to he, do. Did he think that that was a Iowa State? That's the only thing I can think of. Did he, like, because he got spun around. Did he think there, that that was an Iowa State running back? No, there was a guy, like, there was an Iowa State eligible receiver on the line of scrimmage near their sideline. But, he like, he didn't even get to a point to where he threw it in his direction. He threw it backwards. You know, so there's going to be chances. There is going to be chances for an Oklahoma DB to make a play on a ball this week. Again, and I know I said it last week, got to make those plays. And Trey Brown had a great chance. Um, Ball was thrown behind him. May have been pass interference. Probably his best rep as a DB since the Peach Bowl um, on that one play. Now, granted, he did get obviously beat deep on that third and 18. But there's going to be opportunities for this secondary to make plays on the football, whether that's Buki, who played by far his best game in an Oklahoma uniform against Iowa State, whether it's uh, DeLaren Turner-Yell, who continues, and I noted it in the Patreon, that we may need to – if he plays well again this week, we may need to start talking about him leaving after this year as a draft guy because he is playing extremely well. Um, especially coming downhill in the run game. Oh, he's a guy that if he has his man in front of him, he's going to make the tackle. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm 100% confident he'll do that. And then, but yeah, I mean, Pat Fields in that position, and we've talked about this at length over since Will Johnson was at Oklahoma, that's never been a position, and it won't be at Oklahoma, where that's going to be your best defender. It needs to be your smartest defender. It needs to be your most disciplined defender because it's the last resort. But to your point, there's going to be opportunities again this week. There were opportunities last week. Skylar Thompson threw up a ball that Buki probably should have been able to make a play on and pick it off. And he didn't. Now, it was great coverage. He was in the right place at the right time. But it's past the conversation with this defense. And I know there's a another conversation to be had about how these still aren't Alex Grinch's guys. But it's past the conversation even with them. We talk about they were this close to making a play. That they were this cl- they they've got to make those plays. Yeah, and Alex Grinch has said the same. This is where I kind of ask you a question to that effect. And I guess like I'll start off with this. This podcast is brought to you by the West of Everest podcast because shout out to Lee and Grant. They do a wonderful job. One of my favorite OU football podcasts out there. Uh, they brought you up a lot in the previous the episode that just dropped. I think either last night or today. I was listening to it. Bless Lee's heart. He had. When they were talking about the secondary, like they were talking about the defense, they were talking about specifically the secondary. Lee just, he got to a point where he was just like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? 
I have one answer for you, Lee. It's because they suck. <laughs> so my question to you, Keegan, and we'll, we'll always continue to uh, pump up the uh, West of Everest podcast. Uh, I love those guys. Uh, but my question to you, Keegan, is, you know, I, I'm sitting here saying they just need to make one play. Are we, is the, are we expecting too much from them? Because, like, this is a year and two games into the Alex Grinch experience on de- um, with the defense. And like we talked about in previous podcasts, a lot of their starters are good at doing their jobs. But if you ask them to step outside and be a player and be an athlete, like that's where it gets a little bit of, well, these guys were recruited by a previous regime and they may or may not have it. They may have some PTSD, um, Lee and Grant mentioned, uh, from the 2017-18 experience of like, here we go again. Here comes the snowball effect. So like, are, am I expecting too much from them? No, you're not. And no, Alice Crinch is not. No, Lincoln Riley is not. No, that's the correct answer because no. this is the University of Oklahoma. And this is this is big time college football playoff contending program. Defense needs Past to make that. Play. It's, it should be a national champ. And I mean, you've heard me say on this podcast before the season started, like the national championship window is open. Like this is a group and a team that is in a roster that's put together in a place to where. They should be, and for and I know I said this for two and a half quarters, and the team has reiterated as such this week to the media and to me that they did play elite ball for two and a half quarters. It's the quarter and a half at the end of the game that they didn't, and it's something that has to change. I don't know if that's a mentality culture issue. I don't know if that's players not buying in issue to the entire game. I don't know what the problem is there, but – this is a team and a roster that's put together that should be competing for a national championship, especially when you look at some of the other programs. Like, Alabama's going to have issues this year. Like, their defense, and and I know I said this last year, like, their secondary is facing some of the issues that we saw at the tail end of the Les Miles era at LSU that we've seen, uh, you know, Michigan's had good DBs and a bunch of guys that have gotten drafted, they still struggle in the secondary at times against good offenses. Like, Alabama's having those same issues. They're going to have them again this year. Clemson is we – we won't know. It's like last year. We won't know anything about Clemson. They do play Notre Dame this year, so we'll have a pretty good idea. But even until the playoff, like, we won't know. And they look like hot garbage against Ohio State and somehow pulled out a win. Uh, cr- credit the refs for that. But <laughs> – the you know it's just it's a continuous issue for this defense that they just don't make plays they make sorry they make plays they make a bunch of really good they did not have a tackling problem outside of one play um, against Kansas State they didn't have an effort issue and that's my story that's I if anybody heard me asking questions this week um that's in my story that's come to come out tomorrow but to your point and to my what I'm trying to say is is that no it's not too much of an expectation for this defense. It's not too much of an expectation from the fans. It's not too much of an expectation from Lincoln Riley. It's not from Alex Grinch. It's just a matter of a fact that these guys need to get these takeaways. They need to make plays on the football. Credit Jaden Davis. Holy crap, did he play good against Kansas yeah, State. Delaren Turner-Yell. Pat Fields, for the most part, outside of getting juked out by Deuce Vaughn on one play. Buki Radley-Hiles played really well. Trey Brown was iffy. Um, against Kansas State, but to the point, and Alex Grinch made a baseball comparison this week, and I think it's great that they have been hitting for the first two years so far under him. They have been hitting a bunch of singles. They're like the 
Kansas City Royals team that won the damn World Series by basically not hitting any extra base hits. You don't win that way in baseball. You don't win that way in football. You've got to be able to make the big play. You've got to be able to get the big turnover, and it doesn't need to come at the end of the game. It like You look at a year ago, Buki makes a play in TCU, Parnell Motley makes a play against Iowa State, but those are game-winning plays. If they take place early in the game... There's oh, no need for that. There's no need for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I was look. I did look up something, and I know you know this preview, and I always say this and that, but I think this is an interesting, con- uh, interesting research, and I, I want to get your thoughts on it. Obviously, Dabo picked up Clemson in a much different place than what Lincoln picked up Oklahoma. Although Mike Stoops was still the defensive coordinator, this and that, whatever. It took Clemson a decade, ten years, before they really started to put teams away. They struggled with close games, Clemsoning, all those things for a decade. And it took up until 2018 for them to really start putting teams away. So I don't know if that part of the expectation is too much. Now, it's Oklahoma. It's one of the best football – technically the best football program in the history of the sport. It's not too much of an expectation, but I do think it's interesting that it's not just Oklahoma that has had these issues before. I did look up Alabama's. It took Nick Saban one full four-year recruiting cycle. In 2012, they just started murdering people. Yeah, and no, he was hired in 20. He was hired in 2007. That's been my thing since 2014. Um, once everything kind of went off the rails, that's where my opinion of Bob Stoops like really soured. Like a few years prior, like building up to that from '09 on. I started to really question, like, is OU ever going to win a national title under Bob again? And 2014 was kind of like, yep, that's my answer. No. My thing back then was, you've got a clean house. You've got a clean, absolute house. And that's not going to fix things for 2015. It's not going to fix things for 2016 because what you just mentioned, it took Clemson a decade. It took Nick Saban a a four-year recruiting cycle. It takes a long time to fix the problems of a coaching staff or of a recruiting staff. It takes a long time because you've got to get those guys out. You've got to make some tough decisions. You've got to get a new system in. And then you've got to recruit players. And, you know, like, what's his name? Clayton Smith out of Texarkana. <laughs> Great pickup. I'm excited about him. And there's that other guy out of uh, West Texas. Oh, what was his name? from? And he's a junior, I think. But he's... Kobe uh, McKenzie. Kobe McKenzie. Great pickups. I'm not expecting them to be day one starters at all because you get them on campus, you've got to get them in a training regiment, they've got to understand the the system, and then they've got to understand how to make plays with their athleticism. That takes a year or two at, at the least. Sure. So, yeah, that's why it takes a long time, and that's why I was so frustrated with like the whole Mike Soup staying on was because you are delaying the inevitable, and OU is just going to waste generational quarterback after generational quarterback and Jalen Hurts is not a generational quarterback, but he is good enough to win you a national championship. And OU wasted him. He won Alabama a national championship, except their defense couldn't stop Deshaun Watson. Am I sure. wrong? Sure. Yeah. And that, yeah. That as a freshman. That, that that freshman year. Yeah. But the, after that, man, he was no. But he was not very good. But but, but to but to your point, absolutely. It takes that night in Lubbock in 2016. Now, granted, Oklahoma's defense looked really good after that game for the rest of the year. Did they? For what I was used to seeing from 20 – I was at the Baylor game in 2014, as was a ton of people. Um, 2015, that defense did play well. At the end of 2016, they did play well. And then they went away from the 3-4, which I don't – still don't – doesn't make any sense to me. They ran it against Ohio State and just murdered them defensively. 
I don't get it. I that I know revisionist history, blah, 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 all that. But you're right. It was delaying the inevitable. Now, was there a defensive coordinator out on the market in 2016 that Bob would have been able to go get that was better than what he had? Probably, but to an elite coach like Alex Grinch, I'm not sure. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But at the same time, after that Rose Bowl game, and this is I, I, this is obviously secondhand information. No one really knows what happened after the game because all the smoke was that Mike was done. You know, obviously the you know main topic is you know they all went golfing and you know talked it over and basically said you've got one more year to figure it out. And clearly he didn't. And but that's another thing too. It's like I want to ask Alex Grinch. You know, before we get into Iowa State, I want to ask Alex Grinch like. Do you almost have to enjoy this process more now that it's, you know, it's been a year, been two games. If they don't get another takeaway against Iowa State and they pull that game out or beat the dog crap out of them, which I think there's a possibility of that happening. Do you almost have to just love this process and enjoy it and fall in, fall in love with it? Because it's, it's going, it's clear that the takeaways is not really your fault at this point. Like you've got to enjoy getting these guys to a point to where they're playing championship level defense. And then once your guys get in and if the takeaways aren't coming, then, then you have a real issue. You know what I'm saying? Like then you have a real issue. So no, it's fascinating. Um, but it's, it is crazy. Like 2018 OU Texas part one, wasn't that f- too long ago? Yeah. It's, it's, it is wild to think about that. No, like putting a bow on the secondary, creating turnovers, expectations, Mike Stoops, Alex Grinch, you know, putting a bow on this before we get into Iowa state, full on I would just say I think Grinch when he initially came to OU saw what he had I think he kind of walked in and said we got to force turnovers and it's not necessarily because that's what he wants to be as a defensive coordinator but because if you create turnovers it just masks what you are think about those early 2010s Oklahoma State defense 2011 what, what was their calling card oh man they create so they, they lead the nation in creating turnovers that's because and I can't remember who was OSU's defense coordinator at the was time? Was it Spencer? Was it Glenn? Glenn Spencer. might have been Glenn Spencer. Okay. He had the understanding that this defense cannot stop a nosebleed. They've got some guys out there that can make some plays. And, hey, we've got some athletes that can catch the ball or jump routes and take risks. That's what our identity is going to be because it masks the fact that we're giving up 30 or 40 points a game. when we It was Bill Young, sorry. Bill Young. Uh it's masking the fact that we give up 30 or 40 points a game in conference when we play somebody of similar talent like a Texas or an Oklahoma. That's what Alex Grinch understands. If we're going to make any way in this conference and then, of course, in the college football playoff, it's going to be because we've got guys out here that can ball and just be athletes. And at, to this point, no one outside of maybe Buki has done that. Mm-hmm. But Buki is wasted as a nickelback, slot corner, maybe three or four plays a game. He's just what your best playmaker is wasted. So that's why I think that I'm ask I'm expecting too much from the secondary. They're just they're in a situation where they cannot win because they do not have the guys. Sure. I, I mean I I think like I said, Delaren Turner Yell probably, you know, if he puts another couple good games on tape, like we're gonna be talking about him. Yeah, but, being he's, an, but being an, he's not a guy that I expect to just Ed Reed himself out there and like Well, no. And and it, now to that point then the conversation gets to recruiting, and you and I yeah, have had this conversation that's Mike, over. That's the Mike Stoops thing. That's why he should have been taken care of in 2014, then, because by now it wouldn't be a problem. There would be better guys out there. There'd be better competition. Uh, anybody, any anybody else 
Because you just asked, was there someone on the market in 2016? I don't care who it was. It could have been anybody else. That random person would have had a better shot at having a better defense in the Rose Bowl. Anybody else. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. No, but then I was going to say that then that turns into the conversation of we've had we had over lunch one day about recruiting and geographical disadvantages for that. But that's for a bi-week podcast, and oh, I'm yeah. sure we can dive deeply into if, that because I've got some interesting statistics if to OU back loses up that again, theory. Trust me, we will talk about that. But, yeah, let's, let's get into what this point of this podcast is, and that's Iowa State. Now, I'm going to just go ahead and say this right now. I, I know exactly what you're going to tell me. I've watched the Iowa State TCU game. I watched Iowa State oh. Louisiana, and I'm here to tell you, Keegan, Iowa State is going to play their best game of the year. Sure, absolutely. No, I that just like Kansas State theoretically, was, yes. Just like Texas Tech will in a few weeks. Just like Sam Ellinger will next week. That's what I. That, that's the standard of Oklahoma football, especially defensively. OU just makes suck ass to average offenses look amazing they have the games of their lives it's the make-a-wish foundation on defense <laughs> you come play OU and you're gonna tell your grandkids about it Skylar Thompson's life is made he beat OU twice yo have you did you see the stats I put up about how how well he did against Oklahoma I know we're about to get ahead to Iowa State he's like 66 percent completion percentage yeah, eight rushing to eight like eight rushing touchdowns yeah he's Joe fucking Montana <laughs> uh but on the Iowa State front, a uh, couple names to note. Greg Eisworth, former guy that was recruited by Oklahoma. Oklahoma even was close to offering him at a junior college. Went to Ole Miss, went junior college, went to Iowa State. Kind of is their star DB to where um, he is kind of free roam, can do whatever he wants. He plays some center field safety stuff, but really good player, really good tackler in the box. He's going to be all up in the run game. Jaquan Bailey, the name everybody knows, that guy's really good. He's really, really, really good. But he's also at a position to where I'm not necessarily too worried because Anton Harrison, how do I say this? Yes, there were a couple times where the Duke kid from Kansas State put some pressure on him, was that he wasn't able to hold his ground. But for the most part, man, he was... He looked like everything that he was built up to be, especially yeah. with at least... Missing 10 to 14 days of oh, practicing. Oh, abs absolutely. So just imagine what he can be when he's got time to prepare, when he's got better conditioning, strength, and uh, he's able to start the game. For sure, yeah. And <laughs> I then, expect him fully to start this Saturday. Yes, yeah, I think. <laughs> and I fully expect Andrew Rame to get some playing time this week as well. But to Adrian Ely on the right side, if he plays like he did against Kansas State, if he plays like he, the guy that we all think he is, Jaquan Bailey's not going to be a huge factor in this game. And if he is, Oklahoma's screwed. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he will. Now, Iowa State, if there's anything that we've known about John Heacock in their defense, is that they confuse offenses. They confuse offenses by safeties, having to account for safeties in the run game, which is different from most teams. You have to account for different all sorts of disguise coverages. I posted a video on Twitter about that yesterday. But the biggest thing is that guys, they drop eight in coverage a lot. Guys aren't typically running wide open. And they were. And what I said is, is about how Iowa State had more problems in coverage against TCU than Oklahoma had against Kansas State. Like, thousand percent. Like, it, is, it was wild to see how many guys were running open um, for TCU. And it's a scheme that's not nearly as complicated as going up against Oklahoma. And so that definitely... 
I don't know. I don't know what to think of that because you see that. I don't know what to think of it either. Because, like, and I know this is an audio medium, but you're saying that, Keegan, I can't help but roll my eyes because, I mean, we talk about Kansas State's suck-ass offensive line. We're talking about they, Iowa well, State. They were still really bad yeah. on, against OU. We talk about Iowa State's suck-ass secondary. And OU, like, if anything, they've got an advantage just at the skill position, basically up against anybody that they're going to play sure. on this schedule. But I have no doubt that Spencer Rattler is going to find it tough to find Marvin Mims, to find Theo Weiss, to find these guys. Because Iowa State is just going to... They're going to play mind games. They're, they're going to play mind games. They're going to play above their potential. They're going to have a bunch of tryhards out there. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. like I, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I just don't know what to expect because this is a different OU team than the last four or five years where they lose a game and they rebound. I don't know if we can just easily expect that again. Now, they like I said, outside of one decision from Spencer... And I'm not even going to include the final interception. We've seen Baker do that. We've seen Kyler do that. Yeah, the game was uh, lost before that. Um, the one decision to throw to Marvin Mims was a huge red flag from a. We that's something that we would have seen from Jalen Hurts last year. A little too much confidence. Yes, that's a red flag. But for the most part, you know, this is a situation that Spencer has been finding the open receivers. If those guys are opening at Iowa State, he's going to find them. And so. To your to your point though, it's hard for me heading into this game that to sit here and say that Spencer's going to throw for almost 400 yards for the third straight game because what we've seen from this Iowa State defense. Now on the defensive side, I will say TCU still had a lot of success running the football, and we've pointed out before, and I point out with you, Oklahoma really tore Iowa State up in zone running last year. Yeah, they struggled. They've got a great back for that right now. Yes, and they've got and they struggled again against TCU on Saturday. Two great backs, actually. I mean, TJ Pledger showed me some shit. Yeah, absolutely. So, Oklahoma offensively, if you just don't turn the ball over, and I think you're not going to see a lot of power guard tackle counter this week because if you go look back at that 2018 game, like Trey Sermon was getting hit in the backfield left and right, like Kennedy Brooks is getting hit in the backfield left and right. Marcellus Sutton had to completely jump over a guy. For, to get a 10-yard-plus run. Like, and then he died on that play, right? <laughs> he did. I was, I was on the sidelines at that point in the game, and I was like, he's, I saw him jump. I was like, holy it shit. It isn't as bad as, what's his name, Bajon from Robinson. Te- is yeah. he alive? Yeah, he. I guess he's going to be fine after – he's going to be out this week, but oh, fine after that. Yeah, that, that was does, brutal. That, that dude does yoga. Yeah. Like, there's no other explanation because, oh, I, I think that is the most painful football play I've ever seen. <laughs> like more so than like a compound fracture where someone's some dude's bone is exposed. Mm-hmm. That had to be the most painful thing I've ever seen in football. Oh, absolutely. But defensively from Iowa State, they did not look like a typical Iowa State defense. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how – again, it's like Oklahoma. Those issues in coverage are fixable within a week. But if TCU is doing it, then in their first game of the year, <laughs> in their first game with a quarterback that was a former walk-on at Georgia, who honestly looked better than Max Duggan. Uh, I'm sure he'll look great in three weeks. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> so I don't know what to make of it because what we've seen from Heacock and Heacock was a name a lot of people threw out for Oklahoma to hire. Now Oklahoma fans would have been pissed off watching that defense play because it's completely different from what you see at any level of football, but. I don't know what to expect because if they do make those corrections, it's going to be t- it's going to be really tough on Spencer because they they we saw and I think Spencer Rattler everybody knows this is head and shoulders better mentally physically in terms of throwing the football than Jalen Hurts was. Yes, but 
he's still and this you'll hear me say this in terms of this very little about Spencer. He's still a freshman. There's yep. still things he's going to have to see in coverage that he's never seen before at any level. And I showed some positive things that he did last week in terms of being able to scan the coverages and make throws and make good decisions. Um, he was able to do that against Kansas State. But as I said, I don't know what to expect. So if Oklahoma can run the football and bring those safeties up the field, unlike what they were able to do against Kansas State, and I'm talking about attacking downfield, I think that'll alleviate a little bit of the problems that Oklahoma had against Kansas State running it. But, I mean, they've got to go do it. They've got to go run the football well. I mean, at the end of the day, if Oklahoma runs the football well against Iowa State, like they did a year ago, last year they turned the football over three times, two picks in the second half, and one really bad fumble from C.D. Lamb. If they can run the football, Oklahoma's seven-point favorite, right? Right now, yes. yes. That line's going to get blown out of the water. Like yeah. I am, I, I I am that confident. I'm not going to sit here and say Iowa State secondary is the worst secondary Oklahoma's going to going to face this year because they're not. Um, there's a hand that uh, Texas secondary is Texas Tech secondary uh, didn't both look very of them. good. Yeah, yeah, both of them. Um, but Kansas State's offensive line was still. They, I mean, they, outside of one run, they they averaged under a yard a rush. I mean, yeah, they, it was just OU's to front three or front four, however many they were sending. Like even when they were sending four, they could not get. <laughs> Grinch was just sending the house against them, and that's that's the shame. Is like you're playing a bad offensive line, and yet you have to send the house to barely miss getting home. Yeah, and that that's going to be a concern moving forward. But here, I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction. If OU gets the ball for the first part of the game. OU's probably going to look really good defensively because that's what they are. Like they've got a lot of good guys that can do their jobs well. Iowa State offensively, I mean Brock Purdy has a high ceiling, but he has a consistent low floor of just average. So I have no doubt if OU's defense He's got the same Ellinger problem. There you go. OU's defense is going to look fairly good in the mm-hmm. beginning of the game. If OU's offense goes out first, we're going to know really quickly what OU's going to be doing this game. They're not going to lose in the same... If they lose, they're not going to lose in the same sure, vein against absolutely. Kansas State. They're not going to lose a game that they've controlled and then they just give it up at the end of the game. They're going to lose because this team is not mentally tough because they're led by a freshman and they're led by a bunch of other freshmen and sophomores and guys who haven't seen the field or had that smoke yet. They don't have the experience. So... Uh, we're going to know fairly quickly if OU is going to lose this game, and it's going to be because the offense sputters and then more pressure gets put on the defense. Iowa State, who's going to be wearing all black and finally letting That's all their – That's a great look, by the way. Finally letting their fans in for the first first time this year, which, man, gosh, that is so – that is just so try-hard. But, hey, that's what happens when you're OU. We'll you're, have – sorry, I cut you off. We'll have a – we're having a post go up later tonight, uh, a statistical post about OU after losses. Listen to this. If you don't include, like, non-conference play and bowl games, um, obviously OU lost the first two games to Houston and Ohio State, so we included the conference games of that. I think that that, uh, counts to the conversation. So OU is obviously 37-0 in conference play after a loss. Everybody knows that. But here's the crazy part. The average score before a loss, up until the loss and before of those conference games, is 42-32. to after it's 44-25. You ready for this? The yardage differential, Oklahoma before and up into a loss is 71.8 compared to their opponent. They out out average their opponents 184.3 after these losses. What did, I don't and then expected points per attempt, which is per drive basically, goes up from 0.12 to 0.24. Oh, see, Doubles. I just think that's crazy. It is, but 
I think a lot of it just goes to the fact, like as we're bringing up history here, I think a lot of it just goes to the fact that the offense just turned up an extra gear. Because I think you brought up 2016 and like how much better the defense looked after the Tech game. And I was like, did they? I think the easy example would be the West Virginia game. OU goes up 42 to nothing because like it was the snow game um, in Morgantown. OU's offense was just on one. Sure. Do you remember OU had to barely win that game though? That was, I thought that was 2018. 2016, no, th- I thought I think they kicked the crap out of them. No, 2016 was the snow game. That was the year they went to the Sugar Bowl and beat Auburn. Yeah, I think they beat the absolute dog piss out of them. They were beating the dog piss out of them. It was 42 to nothing. And then West Virginia scores on like three or four straight possessions. Jordan Evans gets a pick six to help OU pull away. Like it's the same problems that we're dealing with right now. Like OU's defense to start games when the offense is on one is good enough to do the job, to set the stage for OU to have the blowout victory. But they are not good enough from a depth perspective, from a talent perspective, to continue putting their foot on the gas defensively. They're just not good enough. They don't have the guy. So, like, I think that speaks more to the fact that you had Baker, Kyler, and even Jalen, less less so Jalen, but you had Baker and Kyler have the ability to raise their level of play just another notch. Yeah, the OU was up 34 to 7 and a half. They were up 41-14 after the third quarter in that game. Okay, so it wasn't 42 to nothing. Yeah, okay. no, it was 2018. OU was up by 18 or 19. And it took the Caleb Kelly fumble and the D- D- return. DTY had a fumble, or or somebody else had yeah. a uh, no, okay. 2018. DTY had the missed interception that turned in for like a 20, 30 yard gain when yeah. he was a true freshman. Yeah. But to your point, no, absolutely. Like they, this game was going to be won early in this game. I'm not making predictions or anything. That Kansas State game, I know you watched it. We've all watched 2015 OU Texas multiple times. There's a lot of eerie feeling, feelings to, compared to both of those games. Offensive line problems, can't get off the field, um, big plays from Texas. I mean, they ran that one counter run that for Deontay Freeman that, I mean, it looked like he was a freaking rock star running the football. I think Gerard Hurd started the game at quarterback in that game. Um, yeah, they didn't – I know you didn't really make a game of it until Texas decided to start throwing it for some stupid reason. Yeah, yeah. So, they uh, – 2015 OU Texas and then this 2020 OU Kansas State game has a lot of, I think, parallels to it. Um, And I'm not making a prediction. After that OU Texas game, obviously Oklahoma had Baker Mayfield, Sterling Shepard, D.D. Westbrook, all those guys. But they went up to Manhattan and beat Kansas State Mm 55-0. Like – I'm not saying that there's a that's going to happen. I don't expect it to. I expect Spencer to have more problems this week than he's going to have the rest of the year. But I also think that there's a chance that Spencer could just light up the secondary um, based off what we've seen. Now, as you said, that we don't know. Like they could. This is a team that they're going to play better this week. They're yeah, going to. What is his mental strength? Like we don't know. Yep, absolutely. So they. This game is going to be won early. Oklahoma's going to have to run the football. Um, to your point, though, defensively, I don't know what we're going to get out of Brock Purdy. That Iowa State offensive line, like, they're not the worst. I'm, I'm going to say it again because I know I got some people gave me some flack for this on Saturday against Kansas State. Like, they're not the worst offensive line that Oklahoma's going to play. Kansas State is by far the worst offensive line they're going to play. Iowa State and TCU's offensive lines are both bad. This league in general has an offensive line problem this year. Uh, Texas isn't very good. Oklahoma State's obviously isn't very good. So I know I'm giving away my one player so far, 
But if Oklahoma wants to kick the shit out of Iowa State on Saturday, you're gonna make me edit stuff, man. Perry on Winfrey's gonna have to be the guy everybody yes. thinks everybody everybody thinks he is. That he looks like. Yeah, for sure, because he got pushed around by Kansas State center, who got pushed around by Arkansas State's defensive tackle. Just don't put Brian Mead on the field. That's all I ask. There's people out there defending him. That's a setup for you. I'm not going to let you walk through that door. Uh, no, 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 it, it is. It, you, Brian, he, he, Brian Mead is not good. He is not a – this is the University of Oklahoma. I'm, I'm sure he worked his ass off to get to where he is. I'm sure he's a great kid. But if you're trotting him out there in conference, you're only setting yourself up to fail. Absolutely. And that's uh, – and that's I, and you, everybody's heard me say this, and it's been my biggest critique, and you've retweeted my tweet on Sunday about it, is they only played 21 snaps in the first half. Like, I get David Okwebu because he looks like a guy that could be a big-time player. He was flat-footed. He had a little bit of Jordan Evans syndrome um, in that first in that f- first game against conference game against Kansas State to where instead of attacking upfield and going to make plays, he was kind of waiting on the running back to get to him. And that comes uh, with experience. Absolutely. So I understand him playing alongside Deshaun White and Brian Asamoa. I don't get – Woody Washington hasn't played corner at Oklahoma. Yes, if the game is in hand, get him out there, get him some reps, like Tredron Bridges a year ago whenever he, in, that, in that one game that he got to play. Like, that's completely fine. I think we saw last week that that's not going to happen. Alex Grinch even said as such yesterday about cross-training and how that sometimes doesn't play into your favor because guys miss calls, guys miss this, guys miss that. I don't expect Brian Mead to be one of those guys that shuffles in to get guys rest. I don't expect – now, Trey Norwood, in the limited amount of snaps he played against Kansas State, looked really good. Um, there wasn't enough for me to make a full grade on him. That's a guy that can come in and give you give a guy a rest. Uh, Woody Washington at safety is a guy that can come in and give you give your team some rest. At corner, I don't know if they have that guy yet. Yeah. I, um, I think that's why Woody Washington got moved over there. Obviously, there's still a lot of positive talk about Joshua Eaton and the guy that he could become. Um, from from inside Oklahoma's walls, like they think he's going to be really really good, and you saw a little bit of it against Missouri State with his length. He kind of got beat on that one route, but he was able to recover because he's so long and fast. Um, I don't think he's there yet though. So it's uh at linebacker. There's three guys along the defensive line. There's six seven guys, and they can go play, but no more. Like I understand Alex Grinch and. Not a lot of this. It, it's this is what's tough about the, the Zoom press conferences and the times that we're in. That like you only get one question. So obviously you're writing, you're asking your question for the story. Now, you know, like today I asked Lincoln about Mike Leach. We were able to get Lincoln for ten minutes, and I asked him, I was like, Does, would it surprise you at all if Mike Leach went into his first SEC game and him and his quarterback set the SEC passing record? You know, there's opportunities for those questions to be asked because we got one extra time with Lincoln, but. Like, no one got to ask Alex Grinch about, you know, the play more, not less thing. And it frustrated me, even watching it, just in general of, like, I get if Brian Mead has to come in for a couple plays because a guy's helmet comes off, but he shouldn't be playing full drives. Like, Woody Washington shouldn't have been playing full drives. Well, I'll tell you what, if Brian Mead has to come in because someone loses their helmet, if Iowa State does not automatically audible their play and say, <laughs> run it to that white guy over there, then shame on Iowa State. He's just not good. I get the philosophy. We've mm-hmm. talked about it a handful of times. I get the philosophy of wanting to uh, rotate guys. And if OU's ever going to be a true national title contender, it's going to be because they have guys that they can rotate. They simply don't have it at a certain position. Linebacker being one of them. You're going to have to tell Brian Asamoah, David Aguebu, Deshaun White, guys, you're probably going to be tired. 
but this is Division One football. This is OU. It's not supposed to be easy. I have nothing else to say. Like, Brian Mead should just not be on the field. Great kid, I'm sure, and worked his ass off because he was a former walk-on. Class so. A football represent. But, uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're 1,000% right. Like, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, hate on the hate on the guy. But if there, the we're Peach not, Bowl... We're, we're if, not hating if on him. We're the just pe- we're if the, calling it what it is. Yeah, if the Peach Bowl wasn't enough as an indicator when he came in for Kenneth Murray and just got his blores done off, or his doors, his blores done off, <laughs> his doors blown off. <laughs> um, I may not. I may keep that in. No, that you great. should. That was really good. Um, if that wasn't enough of an indicator, then I don't know what is. This is a... Uh, situation where the margin for error is none now like they have to be really good from here on out the rest of the season and this whole you know play more not less you know to for in-game development to get guys a rest I it should still happen David Aguebu is available um you know I don't know the second Trey Norwood could play corner Woody Washington can play safety Justin Broyles played good when he came in at safety um you know there is opportunities there for guys in certain situations, but you don't have the depth there yet to be doing yeah. the wholesale changes that Alex Grinch was doing. And you're playing against a really smart, I mean, outside of Kansas State, probably the smartest, most disciplined football team Oklahoma will play. Probably the smartest, most disciplined football team outside of Chris Kleiman or Bill Snyder that Lincoln Riley will face unless he goes to the NFL and goes and faces Bill Belichick. Like, that's, that's just the truth. I mean, they are so assignment sounds so disciplined outside of the coverage things last week, which still blows my mind. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, these guys will know how to attack you. Like Joe, like Joe Brady knew how to attack. Like Justin Boyles came on the field. Guess what? Joe Brady just said, all right, we're going to run routes at that guy the entire game. Cause he's not very good. And that's what good coaches do. And that's what Oklahoma is going to face this week. Uh, the TCU on defense, that's what they're going to – that Oklahoma's going to face against TCU's defense. You know, it's just – you can't – if you're Alex Grinch, you don't have the depth to do it. There are guys like Aguebu and, and, you know, four or five others that can come in and give guys rest if they need it. But, again, Kansas State ran 21 plays in the first half. Like, no, no, no one should have needed a breath in, in the exactly, half. Exactly. Exactly. And it was all manufactured. Exactly. But – I guess one more thing on Brian Mead. I wish I wish we would have talked about it before Kansas State, um, but I just didn't think it was going to matter because, like, OU's better than Kansas State. They should have beat them. They didn't, but OU has lost games that they should have won all the time. Um, people, like, had talked about, like, oh, Brian Mead made a play against Missouri State. You know, like, he got a sack. And, and it was talked about because we understood this is what Alex Rich is going to do. He's going to play Brian Mead. He's going to play players like that because of his rotation philosophy. It's like, okay, I really wish I would have said it before then. One, it's Missouri State. Number two, even on that sack, he still f***ed up. He ran right at the quarterback (laughs) and then stopped and then was able to catch back up to him. And then he tried to just strip the ball. And he was just surrounded by guys and the dude fell down. So even on the one highlight reel play for Brian Mead, he showed what he was. Not good enough. Yeah. And I know he's getting flack for the uh, fourth down pickup that Kansas State got as well. That's an that was an Alex Grinch thing um, against, That's that, against Kansas State. It has less to do with Brian Mead and just the the decision to put him out there. Yeah. If Al, if I was on OU's football team and Alex Grinch put me out there at linebacker, it would be worse because I'm not good enough. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I know, I know I've touched on Iowa State's defense a little bit. Some guys to highlight offensively. Um, some names from the past are going to come up. Gates. 
The wide I like I like their running backs. Oh, oh! You, and as that's, the sitting president of the Brees Hall fan club, I am very excited to watch him. That's play where, if Iowa State's going to have a lot of success offensively, it's going to be because their running backs just get outlet pass after outlet pass, and OU misses a tackle in space. They've got guys with speed out of the backfield. I got to look this up. So Brees Hall went to the same high school, and a lot of people know this as Marcus Hicks. Right, So Oklahoma had a great opportunity to evaluate him. I believe he's from the 2019 recruiting class. He is? All right, let's just go look at what Oklahoma did in the 2019 recruiting class at running back. Because whenever you talk about Brees Hall, like he was so good in high school, and even as a three-star, are you ready? He went as a three-star running back and was invited to the, the what was the Army All-American Bowl. Like He played in that game. Like, they thought the world of him at the time. In 2019, Oklahoma took, I believe, Marcus Major, and that's it. How do you feel about that? Uh, that's how. Unless, that, unless oh, they took Ramondre Stevenson as well. So, Ramondre Stevenson and Marcus Major, and Brees Hall was out there for the taking. And this guy's going to end up being probably three top, you know, oh, three, like, four-round draft pick. I like no. one of those guys. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, I can say this. Oklahoma is w- waiting on hands and knees for him to get back. They think he's going to be some kind of guy. Uh, yeah, they definitely are waiting for him to get back. That's for sure. So, um, Brees Hall, uh, obviously they have Charlie Kolar, uh, probably going to be the num- tight end one on NFL draft boards this year. Um, as I said, they still have a couple guys, uh, you know, one wide receiver from Oklahoma and Sean Shaw, a guy that I don't understand why Oklahoma State didn't go and get. Um, that's, there's a lot of guys that are like that from the state of Oklahoma. But uh, And then one, like I said, a uh, couple, uh, couple other ones, Jackson, Daniel Jackson, slot receiver, actually cousin or little brother or something of Mark Jackson, a former defensive end in Oklahoma that's now at TCU and is out for the year down there in Fort Worth. Uh and then skates, I think I believe it's Joseph Skates. He's f- uh, from the same area as Brian Asamoa from Ohio. Oklahoma was recruiting him in 2017. Uh, former four, top, you know, top receiver in the country goes to Iowa State. Made a huge play against TCU. So they do have guys. And again, the question mark for Iowa State is their their offensive line, and that's really it. And if Brock Purdy plays like he's capable of, like that's that's Iowa State's offense and. I'm sure Alex Grinch is going to send the house at him because every time a team's really put pressure on Purdy, he has struggled. That's the goal, but will they be able to get home is the question. <laughs> yeah, or how quickly are they – which then in turn is Oklahoma going to – you know, Buki made a bunch of plays, right? But Buki wasn't in a ton of press coverage opportunities as a nickel. So which makes me think, now one – how often is Iowa State going to get Charlie Kolar on a matchup with Buki Radley Hiles? And that's not a matchup that Oklahoma's going to win. Honestly, Oklahoma's not going to win many matchups with Charlie Kolar with the size of their secondary as it is. Those guys are all really good, but I mean, he's 6'6, 260 pounds. Like, that's, that's just not a favorable matchup for Oklahoma's secondary. Um, that's one of my matchups for this week. And one of my top three matchups for this game is Kolar against the secondary, Oklahoma's front against Brees Hall, um, and then Brock Purdy versus himself. Like, for real, that is for real one of my, you know, big matchups from the game. Because if Brock Purdy doesn't get rattled as a third-year starting quarterback, which he shouldn't at this point as a guy that's got a lot of NFL potential, 
Like Iowa State should be one of the best teams in, in the country based off how they play defense, based off Brees, how good Brees Hall is, based off how good this wide receiving core is. Um, obviously, their offensive line needs work, but Oklahoma's defense, again, was an issue for four to five plays against Kansas State. And outside of those four to five plays, they were really, really good against Kansas State. I mean, again, they Kansas State, outside of the huge Deuce Vaughn run, they averaged less than a yard a carry. Like, Oklahoma's defense was really, really good up front. Um, I think the, just the biggest question mark is, is can they contain Charlie Kolar? Can Oklahoma when – when they get a chance to tackle Brees Hall, will they ta- will they be able to make the tackle? They didn't a year ago. Um, I think that was probably what – I mean, people don't talk about it. I know the offense put them in very unfavorable situations in terms of field. But, you know, they – Brees Hall was really good um, against Oklahoma a year ago. Brock Purdy was good running the football. Another thing to note before we move on, they will do a bunch of zone read stuff this week. It's the first time we're gonna really that's gonna be tested by Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas at defensive end, um, John Michael Terry as well. Uh, that's a conversation we probably need to have um, if he doesn't play well again this week because he was really bad against Kansas State. We'll talk about that probably on the post game, which you can subscribe to on our Patreon page for sure. And uh, but no, this is a this is a very favorable. For the first time in a while, I can say heading into an Iowa State game, I think everybody was pleasantly surprised that Oklahoma was able to put up 42 points in three quarters against Iowa State a year ago, and they just ran it all over them. Can't happen again. Uh, I'm not discounting that that can't happen again. But, again, this is a – in terms of what we've seen on tape so far, is a favorable matchup for Oklahoma, and they're going to need to take full advantage of it, um, not turn the ball over. Um, I I think I've said this this week – how Iowa State wins this game is if they can run the football, if Oklahoma can't get any takeaways, if Oklahoma turns the ball over, and if Spencer Rattler, um, golly, I can't think of, I can't think of the last thing that I, I, I had written out this week, but yeah, I mean it's it's really Oklahoma versus themselves. If they don't beat themselves this week, it it should I think Oklahoma covers and covers pretty easily. Well, with that, Keegan, let us get into your three players that must step up then. And we will revisit this on the postgame show to see whether or not they did their job. First one, Perrion Winfrey. Uh, this is a guy that obviously he deserves, even after, I know it was Missouri State, but he deserves to be the the guy everybody thinks he should be. Now he's got to play like that. And I think some of it, was they did a bunch of stunts against Kansas State and twist up front, so he didn't get to just go bull rush people, which is what he's best at. It's not conducive to success in the NFL, as we've seen Neville Gallimore added some skill to his game a year ago, and he was really good. But Perrion really didn't get to – he wasn't himself against Kansas State, but he didn't get a ton of opportunities to be that way. So I'm interested to see if they adjust to that at all and they let him get some free reign on on the Iowa State's interior offensive line. Um, Number two, Marquise Hayes. Yes. I don't know what happened. Uh, this is a guy that you talk about the holdings from Tyrese Robinson. You talk about this. You talk about that. That's fine. But he wasn't just getting beat. Marquise Hayes was just getting beat by Kansas State's defensive front at times. And How many holds did he have? Two or three, I believe. Was he also the guy downfield? They had an ineligible man downfield. Or is that? Yeah, he was. That's a 
weird conversation to have because that was a really long RPO. Like that was like a 10 yard, 15 yard post route. Yeah. It's just the result though. For sure. No, absolutely. No doubt. Um, Marky says, and then you ready for the third one? Yes. Lincoln Riley. Ooh, because Oklahoma is at a point where they're at a crossroads. They can either go left and they can go down the road of kind of Clemsoning to an even further extent, or they turn this ship around, which they have done before. A, you're about to land the best. You've got a chance to land the best recruiting class Oklahoma's had since 2010. Um, one of the best recruiting classes Oklahoma's landed since the early 2000s. Now, one game doesn't change that. Two games probably doesn't change that. But as we've seen in Oklahoma, if they go lose more than a couple games, it's no, it's a snowball effect. We saw it in 2014. They go eight and five. 2009, they went eight and five. 2000 or 2009, yeah, eight and five. And then in 2005, they went eight and five. They, it's a snowball effect. Um, they have to avoid that. I thought there were some things and calls. Spencer Rattler threw the football 41 times. That's tied for the most in Oklahoma offenses thrown in a football game. Um, Baker did it once. Baker did it twice. Kyler never threw more than 34 times in a football game, if I remember correctly. Um, and there were some favorable looks late in the game. Oklahoma, again, I've noted this. Oklahoma was up 35-28, backed up against their goal line. They go five-man box, six-man box. I know they struggled against it. They started to run the football better, though, in the second half. And he went away from it. And I don't know if that's a raid bro situation. I, I, I truly think the way the game was going, kind of what I said earlier, I think he was waiting for that 28-point cushion, which is a little silly because you're up 21 points. You should be able to run the football. You're OU. You're better than them. Go run the football. I, I really think the way the game was going, he was waiting for that extra touchdown cushion to fully put his trust into the running game because the interior were so bad blocking. Sure. And then also, before he ever probably decided to do it, Seth McGowan had that crucial turnover. Absolutely. So. Yeah, no doubt. And so, and this is not me saying Lincoln goes from here onto the hot seat as someone that will listen to this podcast, love him to death, is already getting close to that point. Um, it's not to that, but Lincoln's got to be better. Um, Alex Grinch... Not really his fault, but the coverage bus are a coaching thing. I mean, clearly they didn't. They weren't prepared. Everybody wasn't prepared for some of the things that they did. Um, but it, uh, at the end of the day, it falls on Lincoln Riley's shoulders. And if Lincoln Riley wants this program to take that next step to be national championship contenders, they are not out of the race. It's going to take Ohio State losing a game now probably. Um, they're not out of the race. It's going to take you know Alabama losing a game probably. It's going to take you know a lot of things to go – their way they have for the last four years but he's got to be better and he's got you know I I he did something really good against Iowa against Kansas State and that drive before the first half Spencer had just thrown that interception and they just took away all the vertical opportunities from him and said hey we're just going to dink and dunk we're going to run it we're going to run it right down the throat and we're going to go score they were able to do that it's on Lincoln Riley's shoulders this weekend this team's got to be ready to play. They've got to be fundamentally sound. Spencer's got to be ready for a defense that he will never probably see again until they play Iowa State next year. And if all those things happen, again, I think Oklahoma's got a chance to really take it to Iowa State this weekend. If it doesn't, 
It's going to be a dogfight on the road in Ames, and I don't know if you want to be in a dogfight with Matt Campbell. Last thing, no prediction from you, or do you have one? Score? Yes. I've got Oklahoma by 14. I have it either I'm going to give two, so don't give me full credit if this hits. 45-31 or 38-24? I'm going to say OU's going to win 38-17. And it's oh. going to be somewhat of an ugly game. Okay. But, yeah, like I, like I said, we're going to find out fairly quickly. If OU goes down, gets the ball first, scores, you know, four or five play drive, it's like, all right, they should take care of business. Yeah, well, but the – because the, the mental toughness is there to rebound from a disappointing loss. But the problem is is that they were up 14 nothing against Iowa State last year. They were up by a ton against TCU last year. They were, you know, this and that, and then they, you know, came back in the game because <coughs> some interceptions. There you go. Uh, but absolutely. No, I think uh, I'm not predicting, you know, this to be easy. It won't be easy. This isn't the same Iowa State team that you're going to be used to defensively. Uh, but they, uh, Oklahoma's got some favorable things, especially with the way they play offense and the way Iowa State has played defense against TCU, the way they played defense a year ago. They got some favorable things that lead to having some offensive success. And then offensively, again, TCU was able to get to Brock Purdy, and they weren't doing much. Oklahoma should be able to get to Brock Purdy as well. And if those two things can happen, um, I'm not predicting a Kansas State blowout, but as I said, I'm going to settle on my 14-point uh, margin at the end of the day. Oklahoma covers. Awesome. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Once again, uh, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon page for the post-game show access for $4, and then $5 gets you the, po- the post-game show and Keegan's Sunday film breakdown, which got a lot of great reviews over the weekend, so please don't miss out. Keegan will always put out some teasers on Twitter Uh, If you want to just get a little taste before you see what you're paying for. But we greatly appreciate all of our patrons thus far. And we look forward to joining some, meeting some new friends along the way. But everybody, thank you for listening to the Inside OU podcast. And until next time, Boomer Sooner.